Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore. Do you struggle to eat organ meat? Optimal Carnivore was created by carnivores for carnivores. Long-term listeners of the show will know I'm a huge fan of supplementing a carnivore or ketogenic diet with organs. Organs have bioavailable nutrients that you can't find anywhere else. Um, Not everyone finds they have to eat organs on a carnivore or ketogenic diet, but many have found benefits, including myself. And Optimal Carnivore is a great uh, supplement if you are not willing or able to cook organs, you can't stomach them, or if you're traveling um, and it's just something that you can easily take and it's very high quality. Uh, Their organ complex is from grass-fed animals in New Zealand. It includes nine different organs. They also have a beef liver product, a brain nourish product, all of which I've tried and used regularly. Um, Taking six capsules is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat from the butcher. So super easy. And you can get 10% off your order and other special deals by going to optimalcarnivore.com slash Scott. That's optimalcarnivore.com slash Scott and go there to help support the show and get your organ supplements. Abel Chabai is an expert in effective and sustainable physique enhancement. His mission for the last five years has been to help people get into their best shape, build muscle in the most efficient way possible, modify their body fat settling point, and more importantly, do it in a way that allows fitness to be integrated in their lifestyle in a sustainable and enjoyable way. He runs the SSD Able YouTube channel where he has hundreds of free videos interviewing the top experts in exercise, creating deep and practical guides on topics and overviews on key fitness topics and sharing his own experiences. Welcome to the show, Abel. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Honored to be here and uh, was kind of just uh, awkwardly looking around during that very, very kind intro. So thank you for those very nice words. Yeah, absolutely. And I've you're someone I've learned from tremendously over the last several years um, and admired and looked up to a lot. So it's it's an honor to get a chance to interview you. Um, I'd love to start with just um, getting a little bit more of your background. How did you become involved in fitness and producing fitness content? Yeah, well, first of all, just also wanted to react to that, but you just kept talking. So thank you for saying that as well. It's really an honor to hear that you um, learned from me, especially because you're uh, uh, now you have your own stuff. And clearly, like uh, just from interacting, you, it's clear that you're a very bright uh, individual. So for oh, you to you. say that, it means a lot. Um, thank you. So how did I get into it? It's um, yeah, it, it's it's actually one of those questions where. I'm, I'm sure when you think back to so like, when did you start lifting? It was like not one uh, specific moment. And it uh, usually it is like that with these sorts of things. Like you do start your YouTube channel on one day. In my case, I actually don't even exactly remember when I started that. Cause like I had several ideas as to like what I would uh, want to do with this. Um, 
actually, what was the question? How did I start with fitness or how, with my YouTube yeah. channel and stuff? How did you start with fitness? And then how did you start creating content around fitness? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So I guess I was always into fitness to some extent. Like um, I often tell the story of how young I was when I first created my own training program. And that was when I was 10 or 11 years old. And that was um, a plan that I created for myself for the summer as in like how I'm going to get into shape for the following September when the next school year started. Cause I'm like wanted to be lean, leaner for the girls. Um, by the way, it did not, it was a very heartbreaking moment actually. Cause I remember a friend of mine came over to me like for a sleepover, like just before the next school day. And he was like, Hey, so I just wanted to say, well, how shall I say this? Uh, you put on a little bit of weight <laughs> since I last saw you. And I was like, that was like a very crushing moment. Oh. But I really realized that my plan failed for the summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And and actually, so now that I mentioned that, it's actually something that was um, with me throughout my early years. Like I was, I was not a fat kid by any means, but I was like a little bit like chubbier. I guess you could you could say that. And that was something that really bothered me. Um, I was teased by it, but not like horribly badly. And yeah, like that was always something I pursued, like trying to lose weight, trying to get leaner. Um, and so I was always into kind of personal fitness. I also tried various sports, but like this whole trying to get myself into shape was something that was with me from a very early age. And then like really like formally, I started going to the gym around like 2012, 13. And then through a lot of trial and errors, I stumbled onto the right sources of information and started learning more about it. And then it was around 2015, 16, when I first got the idea that like, maybe I could actually do something with this. Not because I had such amazing results that like, well, I mean, it only makes sense to turn this into a career or anything like that. Like, no, I was very far off from that. But I was just so passionate about it that I was like, okay, people always talk talk about turning your passion into something more. And ideally, like you actually work with what you're most passionate about. So I was like, well, fitness is something that I've obsessed about as much as maybe nothing else. So it could actually be a wise choice to try to do something more, even if I never make money with it, at least not just like read blogs and annoy my friends and family with stuff like this, but try to be a content producer. So that's very briefly how those two things uh, came about in my life. Yeah. And it's been amazing. What I love, one one of the things I love about your content and your channel is how transparent you've been with your own process and like how you've struggled not only mentally, but physically to get to the results you now have and develop what I think is an incredibly impressive physique um, but it, it hasn't been easy and it's taken a lot of like mental struggle and obviously physical work to get there. Um, so it's really yeah. cool for you to document that along the way, rather than just be like at your goal physique or at this amazing physique and be like, yeah, this is how you work out. You know, it's, it's documenting the journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think almost to a fault, I've always been, it always came easily for me to share stuff. Um, sometimes it actually got me in trouble in my personal life. <laughs> so 
I had to learn to be a little bit more private. And um, when it comes to talking about this publicly, it also comes relatively easily. But at the same time, I also recognized that I recognized it very early on myself, like how much it meant to me when someone shared something that was like a personal struggle. And if it was something that was also relevant for me, or I was going through something similar, like I could really see that it really helps to know that I'm not alone. And especially if the person had something that helped them, then obviously it could be immensely helpful. And, you know, online, I'm, I'm sure you thought about this yourself as well, that like, especially if you're, if, if you're trying to come across authoritative and you're giving advice to people, which is, you know, those two things have to go together to some extent. Like if you're not authoritative at all, then why would people listen to you? Um, and obviously you don't want to be faking it, but at the same time, it, it becomes a fine balance. Cause if all you're talking about is your screw ups, especially if just now recently you screwed up with something, then it's like, it's like, Hey guys, guess what? I screwed up again and again. And again, that is like, well, okay, so like you're the expert that we are supposed to be learning from. So it, it can become like a delicate kind of balance to strike. But yeah, I, I prefer to keep it as honest as possible because um, most of the feedback I'm getting actually, or like clients that are reaching out, like usually that's how the emails are starting. Like um, your story resonated so much with mine. Um, I just want to thank you, first of all, like for all the honest honesty that uh, I I just saw from you. And yeah, I, I just learned that it's, it's worth it to be as honest as possible, basically. Yeah, I think it, it is a tricky balance. And I struggle with it too, like showing people where I've messed up and, and but still trying to retain some level of authority and act like I know what I'm talking about. But I think the um, genuineness genuity i don't know what the word is <laughs> um shines through so much stronger and is is um often rare and and people can connect with it um pretty quickly too that it, it's it can yeah. be very powerful and people see through i think like um i don't know about you but i definitely definitely notice it when someone is like really putting on like a fake yeah tone or like a fake um like sense of confidence yeah, it's it's just um, it's it's really like like people make very rookie mistakes with that. It's actually surprising how bad liars most people are. And like on me, when I'm <laughs> bullshitting, you can definitely immediately notice it yeah. on me. So yeah. yeah, it's just not not worth it in most cases. Yeah, totally. Um, and how this is a fairly open ended question, so feel free to take it however you want. Um, but how have your views on fitness evolved over time? Like. What are some of the things you've changed your mind on, gone back and forth on, and kind of who who has influenced you along that journey? Oh, yeah. So um, my views have changed a lot, which, by the way, that's another we were talking about delicate balances to strike with, you know, authority versus like talking about your struggles. That's another one where uh, you got to be careful because on the one hand, you like it, it is important that you're confident about what you're saying. Like, um, and if you're not confident at all, then, then don't say it because then either you will be cornered into like having to stick to your guns, even though you really shouldn't be because like, you know, better. Oh, God damn it. That this microphone is so loose. It keeps like moving back and forth. <laughs> so, fine. uh, 
Yeah. So like uh, e- either you will be forced to do that or you will you will just come across like some just a person who is like flailing left and right with any like new information that comes their way. So then like, again, how can people trust you or listen to you? And when it comes to changing your views, like once again, if you actually were confident, like really confident in something that you said, and over a longer period of time, you you learned something very new. Um, it it's it's always a delicate balance. Like like when when are you ready to like just come out and say it very openly, or should you just say it like explicitly, or should you like face people into it? It's interesting because I actually do see both approaches from various people and people that I actually really respect. Uh, maybe I shouldn't just throw them under the bus. So maybe not not gonna like name them, but like really prestigious names. And I, I see that that approach as well. We're like, so yeah, uh, so far I did this. Basically, I'm recommending the polar opposite. And I'm also seeing it where like, I think this is the point where the person actually realized that, okay, like he, he was sort of wrong. Um, and then not saying it explicitly, but like just moderating the message. So at first it's almost the same message, but more caveats and then like phasing it out. So Anyway, that was a long tangent, which is not answering the question at all. But um, <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah. So it's, I mean, very like initially, I was like all in on like low carb fasting. Um, yeah. Like, like keto, all of these things. Um, basically, I, I was following like Gary Taubes, um, like Mark Sisson, like, like all of these like low carb gurus. If you go to like a paleo conference or like low carb conference, the peop- the famous people that would be lining up there I was following all of them. Uh, John Kiefer is my biggest regret out of all of those. And <laughs> Dave Asprey. I, <laughs> yeah. um, I-, I was even drinking bulletproof coffee. Like if someone goes on my Facebook, they can see pictures like, oh, look what, look what my parents brought me from, I don't know where, like they visited me and they brought me like 20 packs of butter. So things <laughs> like that. Cherry gold, of course, that's when, that's what went into your coffee. Of course. And, yeah, yeah. And um so that is kind of like my initial kind of like um I was completely virgin to the whole like evidence-based fitness world. And I found the first iteration of that, which I thought was like evidence-based fitness. It it was evidence-based, but um yeah, I was just kind of like missing a few key bits and pieces. Um and then really like the the big changes were like relatively small compared to that. So like that was like the only like big, like complete shift of philosophy that I had to go go through. So that was like, um, that was um, a period of my kind of fitness education where I really needed to get rid of some dogmas. Um, after that, like I, I've had a couple like low volume training, like I was really big into like higher volume training is I, I didn't say it's always stupid. But um, I was going a little bit too strongly in the direction of like low volume. Um, definitely moderated that. Um, couple of other things. Yeah, there were times when probably I placed like put some experts that I viewed as like mentors in in the the evidence based space. I put them on too high of a pedestal. Maybe I took some of their messages like too highly on board. Um, but these are like relatively minor. Like if if you looked at like how I trained at the time and like how I would have recommended someone to train versus what I recommend now, those those would be relatively similar. Um, 
there were times when, especially initially when I really got into evidence-based fitness, I was really, I viewed calorie tracking and precise calorie tracking as sort of like the best way forward for basically everyone. And I, so basically the progression of you, like just being a person like casually interested in fitness, then being really interested and then becoming like as competent as possible with your fitness pursuits. Basically, I viewed the progression of that as, so basically once you're at the highest tier within this, that's the point where you're like always tracking everything as precisely as possible, like all three macros if possible. That was my idea of someone being at the final stage of their fitness journey. And now I actually pretty much think the opposite. Like I think that the final stage is is when you're as flexible as you possibly can be. And 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 also like um I think an important part of that now, which I never would have thought earlier that I would eventually think this, is that there is um like a personality development aspect of it as well. Is that you you actually realize that there are just certain trade-offs that are not worth it for you, perhaps. So even though now you really have the know-how, like you could stay at like six percent body fat year round if you if you wanted to, but it's just not worth it, and you're also comfortable with that. And so I think that is also a part of it. Like you sh- should also develop as a person. I think as you're going through this, and you should of course like not let go of your ambitions completely. So like you should do better than just the average person who is not as competent as you. And you should achieve those like still on an absolute scale, impressive goals while being as flexible as possible. So ideally not tracking things at all times, kind of just um, freestyling as many things as possible while still being on track towards the things that are still important to you in this whole fitness thing. So that that is a pretty big change. Like, um, yeah, like going a lot more towards flexibility and sustainability and not not so much like optimality um, in the way that we usually think about it. And so some of those. Yeah, and, and I think that's a lot of what has attracted me to your content as well. I think you have some unique perspectives and you're one of the, you're the primary person I see in the evidence-based fitness industry who, um, well, first of all, I think you do a fantastic job of keeping an open mind and changing your mind when you need to and explaining why you do and you're very logical about it. Um, I would also say you're the primary person in the evidence-based fitness industry talking about like not just what things are important and what things make a difference, but how to make really great progress while being more flexible. Um, which I think is really mm-hmm. awesome. And it's not the simple trite recommendations of like, you know, oh, just, you know, count your calories and therefore you can incorporate fun foods. It's a lot more nuanced and more like how to develop skills and habits around auto-regulated eating, how to make it work for you. What are the trade-offs and things like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, well, first of all, thank you again. <laughs> You're saying such nice things to me in this podcast. That your <laughs> listeners will be confused. Like I, I was like rambling. So I I felt like kind of very slowly. I'm always shocked how slowly I'm speaking when I'm watching these these things back. And like maybe not always coherently. It's like this Scott, like what the hell are you talking about? Like this guy <laughs> is the most anything, maybe the slowest <laughs> that I can that I can see. 
Um, so yeah, like I guess I was relatively lucky that I got, I, I think if you're really hardcore about all of these, like, like trying to get league in like with, with training, it's usually less of a problem because training is at least something that is not with you all day. Like you can actually just put it down. Like you go to the gym and then it's done. But if you're trying to stay very lean, for example, and you're controlling your diet accordingly, I mean, there's something that is with you all times. And I think if someone is overly ambitious about this um, in the long term, I think that is going to have some negative repercussions for most people. And I think I was, I mean, in a way, lucky, unlucky, depends on your perspective, in that I got hit by those potential negatives like relatively early on. And so I pretty quickly realized that, okay, if I keep doing it this way, this is going to going to really mess me up. And I mean, it did mess me up. And did make me, I mean, not directly, but indirectly actually made me very unhappy because of how my life started to change. And um, yeah, it, it, the way it impacted my social life, the way it just impacted my general mental health was really negative. And so I recognized that, okay, some some things need to change here. And I had to start thinking about that relatively early on. But it was a while until I actually started putting those good ideas that I had into practice. Um, like it's not always happening at the same time, like recognizing the problem and that you need to make a change and maybe even having some idea of what the solution could be, but then actually doing something about it. There is often a bit of a delay. In my case, there was a really big delay. Um, and then once I actually started putting some of those things into practice, and my life did start to change for the positive again. It was actually pretty crazy to see because I could see that it's not only that I feel better mentally, uh, which it totally could have happened that actually objectively my results are now worse. Like, okay, I'm not as lean, not as muscular, whatever, but I'm happier. That does happen to a lot of people. Um, but in my case, actually, my results got better as well because it probably this like differs between people, but for me, if I'm not happy, um, it's really hard for me to be consistent, especially with diet stuff. I may still go to the gym. Probably I will, but sticking to a diet, like practicing moderate things are just so much harder for me if I'm unhappy. So everything started to improve. And I mean, you can imagine like after struggling with, mental stuff for a couple of years plus my results were also not very like awe inspiring then it was a very very empowering thing to go through so i mean that that really made it um it it just made me even more passionate about the whole thing and just even more inclined to speak about all of this to others so yeah Yeah. i guess i don't know yeah yeah that's that's perfect and i was going to ask you what topics you've kind of decided to focus on most in the in the fitness world and it's you you kind of answered it there but some things i've seen you talk a lot about is like auto regulated eating i remember taking your course on it um and mm-hmm. found that super helpful and but also um more recently you've talked more about um you know making your training more sustainable and auto regulated um what audience do you do you want to focus on with your videos like who are you 
targeting who do you want to speak to and and um also with your coaching yeah uh that that is actually that, that's actually a good question because i am probably not always i mean it, it's definitely a range of people uh but but probably from like a, especially from like a business standpoint it's not as hyper focused as it probably should be um i would say that the people that like make up the vast majority of my audience are going to be either people that are probably like in that 25 to maybe 45 age range. Um, just if I'm looking at my clientele, if anything, like it's, I've had a handful of people like over 50 and the vast majority of them were like between 40 and like 25. Um, and yeah, and actually I last time I checked YouTube analytics, it was also that. And um, in terms of training, like stage of training, it, most of them will be sort of in that um, early intermediate and not advanced yet, but like close to it, like in that range. So basically intermediate lifters, which is not shocking because like those are usually the ones who actually need help. Yeah. Um, People look so, for answers the most. Yeah. 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 Like a beginner doesn't even know what he doesn't know. Um, and things are probably coming easier, easy enough for them that they are um they don't even think that they need help necessarily advanced people yeah like i'm an advanced lifter i don't really watch educational youtube videos in the in on fitness topics anymore i, I usually just do it to like inspire myself with content production um and um so it's interesting because with i feel like with training and with diet i sort of target different people as in like, who is the person that I have in mind? Um, to be honest, actually, the reason for that is because for me, diet was always something that was, it, it's, I always viewed it as, as this very interesting, like entity, because like, food is fun and enjoyable. And it's one of the, um, one of the few things that can like acutely make you happy every day, multiple times a day. And at the same time, it's like biologically, I mean, you cannot live without food. And basically when it comes to like how aesthetic your physique is going to be, it's almost like a, a, a race of like who can eat the least, right? Like, like basically like the more you moderate calorie intake, like to some extent, the better you're going to look. I mean, it's a really messed up thing to say, but in, in some ways it's true, right? Like it's, it's a really big component of having a very aesthetic physique is and, and keeping yourself lean. And and it's just a very, very tricky dynamic because of this. So there are just so many things that are pulling you towards it. And at the same time, you have to moderate it probably a bit more than you would like ideally want if if um, your fitness goals were not a concern. And so it was always something where managing the psychology around it and finding ways so that you can like do all of that with as little neurosis as possible that was like always my my biggest focus so i'm i have a very strange relationship with that whole topic not luckily not with food anymore but with that whole topic i almost view it as like some sort of um like a a, a drug that like in in small doses is like really good like in too big doses it, it can actually like not necessarily kill you or anything but it can quickly become dangerous so it's like that sort of thing like 
I, I don't think that um, someone is going to develop some like full-blown eating disorder overnight. But I do think that it, it can be a slippery slope and it's it's very easy to start slipping and actually not note. And I'm I'm really like trying to help people that are, I mean, not like fully like slipping down and it's unstoppable. At least for someone like me, it's not stoppable. Like they need like a, a specialist in, in that area, but started slipping and I can like still catch them. And I'm trying to catch those people. And um or or maybe they are like not even at the slope yet, but are walking towards it. Maybe I can like turn them back. Or at the very least, maybe I can just give them some encouraging words that like, hey, listen, this is very messed up. Um, these are some of the really messed up stories from my life. So probably you're not quite there yet. And just know that like eventually even I came out of this. So maybe I won't be able to like directly help them, but I can like give them some encouragement. Um, and of course, like all the strategies around it. So like, okay, so I know that some people are actually prone to this. I know it's easy to slip into this. These are some of my strategies to like still pursue these goals that you have and do it as safely in this regard as possible. And, and I mean, that is really basically the type of video or videos that I, like, I wish I had at the time. Like, I think someone like I am trying to be for these people would have been actually very helpful for me when I was going through all of this. Yeah. When you um, were more like binge eating and orthorexia type behavior, right? Yeah. And, and especially like on the way there. So, um, like Kino buddy, for example, like he gets a lot of stick, uh, rightfully. So, I mean, the guy is very cringy, but when I was first getting lean, like he he was, I always say he was the, perhaps the biggest help for me because he was like one of his key phrases was like the number one question that you should be asking yourself is like, how can you make a calorie deficit as enjoyable as possible? Because you will need to maintain it for a couple of months. So how can I eat in this deficit and enjoy myself as much as possible? That, that's a very, very wise, like really good life lesson, I think, for any fitness enthusiast who like wants to get shredded for the summer or whatever. So that that really helped. Um, I think the only thing that was missing from this whole Kino buddy um, thing is just the honesty about what actually goes into being lean. Like what will happen once you're there? What can you expect? Like happiness wise, lifestyle wise, whatever. Like he kept portraying this as like, you, you get there and you walk around at 8% body fat and everything is just so great. Well, it's like, we'll give you Lamborghinis, girls drool all over you. Yeah. 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 And, and, and like just him normalizing this incredibly vain, like narcissistic, like just vibe that he created. Like if you're always watching that person and he is your number one help, then I mean, actually I'm thinking back, like I, I almost started speaking like him at one point when I was like going through those early diets. And it was really freaky. So that that's the problematic aspect of this. And, but honestly, like I would actually preach a lot of the same messages if I was helping someone get lean now, just without the cringy tone and without actually portraying the 8% body fat thing as like a reasonable, like long-term goal that like you should be living in that body. Cause I think 8% body fat is way too lean for most people as a long-term goal. Um, and, um, but, but still like, even he had some elements that were like really helpful for me at the time. And so I think that 
during those early days when I was getting lead and I was like really focused on this goal of like getting a six pack, I think that would have been like really the prime time to like get get as much guidance and like like direction from someone. Because even though I was trying to do things smarter, I was like just heading towards a goal, like really, really like fast and with a lot of determination that was like never a good idea to begin with. So I think that that would have been like once I was already binging, then it was really difficult. Like then like so many things would have needed to change. Um, but like it was a long period of time that actually got me there. Like maybe someone could have given me a bit more perspective about like how I should go about like my social life. Like, like, dude, it's really not a good idea to like lose friends while you're trying to get lean. Like it may seem like the easier thing to do now because like you don't want to be invited to social events where you're tempted to cheat on your diet and whatever, but your diet is going to end one day for whatever, either you get lean or you fall off the wagon or whatever, but it will end what are you going to do then? Plus it's going to end and you're going to be hungry. So like, then that will be your excuse to like never go out or whatever. So yeah, I, I so wish someone could have given me these like little pieces of advice at the time. And um, yeah, like, so because of that, that's how I approach the diet side of things. Then with training, it's actually quite different. Cause like, I never felt like the sustainability aspect of things needs to be emphasized as much. It needs to be to an extent because like you shouldn't get injured. And at the very least, you shouldn't train so much so that you're actually like doing more than what's beneficial. And you're just like spinning your wheels. That's never good. But at the same time, like I, I enjoy training. I, I think a lot of, a lot of people do like you get bit by the iron bug like I don't particularly have an issue with someone being in the gym for two hours, seven days a week, if they enjoy doing that. So with that one, it was a little bit more about optimality, more so than sustainability. And in a way, I mean, that's because that's what resonated with me as well. So I, I guess I'm just making videos that I know I would appreciate. And that's, I think a good piece of advice for anyone, like if you're passionate about something, odds are there's someone out there who is as well. And that's kind of how I'm approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's excellent to provide that resource. It's also a great place to come from of like, not just the content you would want now, but the content you would have wanted when you were earlier in your journey and, and struggling yeah. and in pain. Um, shifting topics a bit to um, focus most on like fitness and hypertrophy. Um, mm -hmm. I think there are a couple ways and you can tell me which, which you think, which others you think there are, but two of the big ways or one of the big ways in which I see you, um, as different than a lot of figures in the evidence-based community is you're a huge fan of higher training frequencies, or at least being a lot more flexible mm -hmm. with your training frequency, not sticking to, you know, strict body part splits of doing only push pull legs or doing a traditional, you know, chest back day. Um, why do you like training more frequently and what are some of the benefits? Yeah. So it's interesting. Cause like earlier, I just like many people, I was sold on the, basically the very pure, like um, physiological benefits of higher training frequency. So I thought that like, it is actually just plain better 
um, all else being equal, which are often not, but like even then, like it's actually going to be more optimal. I don't think that anymore. Um, at this point, I think that higher training frequencies are just, they are very, very convenient. I think most people who never really tried them think of them as something that is going to make your training sessions lengthier and you will be spending like half your session warming up and all of these things. Uh, that's not my experience at all. Um, it, it can be if your exercise selection is like somehow very weird, but it makes it very easy for me to program for myself because like, okay, how do, like, what am I going to train today? Like, how am I going to arrange things? Well, everything all the time, basically, if I'm interested in training it, especially if I want to get in a lot of training volume, I mean, it, then it's very easy. I'm just going to do it like basically daily. You do three sets, like six days a week. That's already like 18 sets, which actually like 18 sets that um, it, it's not... It's not a ton, but at the same time, like on a body part split, it's definitely quite tricky to get that in. But even like on a, a push-pull legs, it's relatively tricky to get that in. Um, or, well, I guess it's not, but then you like need to be doing a bunch of sets on one piece of equipment, which I always hated. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it makes things very convenient, especially now, like I'm freestyling my training a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw my latest video on that. The, um, how I train without having a training yeah, split. It. It was really um, good. Thanks. Yeah. Like that's uh, honestly like how I'm doing things and it makes my life a lot easier that I'm accustomed to these higher frequency setups. So yeah, like I, I don't need to be thinking about like, okay, so it's going to be like chest and back and then arms and whatever, but like, Oh, but I, I, so it's too big. The overlap is too big. And I want to wait at least like 48 hours. It's like, no, like it's just, just, I'm putting it the next day as well. And the day after. So, um, a lot less headache. And that is, that is perhaps the, the biggest benefit. Um, and then, I mean, there's a whole discussion to be had about like basically convincing people that is really the case and that it doesn't require you to warm up like five times as much. And it also, um, it also is not going to make you like always niggled up or have sword point or whatever. I understand the skepticism, but on honestly, I really think that it's just a super viable way for more people than not. Why, so, why do you um, think it, it doesn't require as much warming up. Is that because you can mix in more like isolation exercises that you don't need to warm up for as much versus like some people think of full body training as like you're doing heavy squats and then heavy deadlifts and then heavy bench press. Is it because you're doing a mix of heavier compounds and easier exercises that you don't need to warm up for as much? Or why do you, why does it require less warming up than people commonly think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically all, all of some of all, some of all of those things that you mentioned in my opinion i think a good like full body quote unquote session is going to be a mix of more and less technical lifts and then more and less demanding lifts so i have have some like general rules that i like to follow um which 
I, I don't have it like set in stone in my head, but like when I'm thinking about it for a couple of minutes, that's usually where I arrive that like, okay, so I'm going to be doing preferably only like one, like really demanding lower body compound lift, for example, in, in one session. And so in practice, there's going to be a squat pattern or some like hip hinge pattern, like a Romanian deadlift or something. It's going to be only one of those. I'm not going to be doing both. Um, then when it comes to like upper body compound lifts that are quite demanding, which they're never going to be as demanding as a lower body compound lift, but you know, like a chin up or a, an overhead press, relatively demanding. So I'm only going to be doing like two of those at most, not more. So basically that already leaves us with like, okay, we are going to have like one at most, like one really demanding compound lower body lift. And then at most two upper body lifts that are like more demanding the rest is going to be considerably easier. So it could be something like, a, a, let's say, a back squat, barbell back squat, a leg curl, and then let's say, let's do two more demanding compound upper body lifts, so a chin-up and a barbell overhead press. Let's just say that. To me, those would be like the two most demanding upper body lifts. And then on top of that, I mean, okay, a cable lateral raise, and then maybe some calf raises, maybe like an arm isolation work or isolation exercise. So it, it, it's just not that hardcore. Now, how much warming up is needed for this? Um, so the thing is, for this, you might actually need to warm up a little bit. Like this, this, this would be the, like the most amount of warm up I could ever foresee myself performing for a session in one of these full body sessions. Um, but... On the other hand, I mean, I don't know how people warm up for things or like, let's say I'm doing chin-ups and I'm trying to hit a, a PR and I'm doing like 30 kilos. Let's say I'm bulking. So I don't know, let's say close to a hundred kilos, which I realistically won't be, but like, let's just say okay, 30 kilos plus a hundred, 130 kilos doing chin-ups with that. That's really hardcore. I mean, how much warming up I will do like couple of reps, like two, three reps with my body weight. Then with like one rep with 10 kilos, one rep with 20, then I'm going to the work set. I mean, I, I don't know what other people do, but this does not take that long. Like this was like three minutes or something that I described now. The same thing with the overhead press is going to be actually even shorter because I'm not very strong at the overhead press. But if someone is, that's the other thing. So like when people talk about like tons and tons of warming up, I mean, okay, if your Dr. Mike Isratel, who, what was he, overhead pressing like 270 pounds for 10 reps um, in his natural days. I mean, like, holy shit. <laughs> like, this, I don't even understand how this possible. But like, yeah, if you're him, you may, maybe you actually need a lot of warming up. Like, sorry, like, probably most of your listeners, most of my listeners are not Dr. Mike Isratel at his prime, like, strongest self. So do you really need a ton of warming up to do... 12 reps with a lat pull down or do eight reps with a like dumbbell overhead presses or something like that. Like, I, I don't really think so. Barbell back squat, Romanian deadlift, those need more than others, but like you will at most have like one movement like that. Um, yeah. so yeah, like, and, and plus like, uh, like for a lot of people it's shocking, but like actually for a lot of things, you actually don't really need to warm up much at all. Like I, for like let pull downs, but a cable let pull down, I can pretty much just jump into it like cold. If if I did some other exercise, like if I did some overhead presses and 
maybe some lower body stuff like my muscles are warm like yeah. my whole body is like like sizzling almost like it's it's so warm yeah i can just jump into it cold like maybe i'm gonna lose like a rep compared to what it could possibly be is that going to be a big deal i don't really think so yeah so yeah you save a few minutes you can always make it up with another set or something like that and yeah um, who who would you say high frequency training is not a good fit for yeah so um with so actually i think for, for myself i interestingly enough don't do very high frequency for my arms and that is because with the arms i find that um i tend to like my elbows just feel like very it's it's almost like it it actually feels like how i think most people think of warming up like the purpose it serves which is like your muscles are like cold and like easily like terrible and whatever. And then like you warm them up and then they become this like nice, like flexible structures that are like very smoothly moving in space. And instead of tearing it, they are just like nicely stretchable or whatever. I don't think it works like that generally, but that's how it feels with some areas of my body. Like really like this bicep tendon, like elbow kind of area it, it just feels really awkward until i did until i like almost like groove them in so i do some like push downs or something not a ton of stretch on the triceps and not a ton of like elbow torque and after that like doing some like overhead tricep work feels much better for example so um it actually feels a lot better to cram a bit more work in into one session. And that's a connective tissue thing for me with my elbows or bicep tendons. And so for that, like I could do it with high frequency, but in that case, it would be truer that like it would be just annoying because I would have to warm up for that like every day uh, because it's a unique area for me. Um, if someone has something like that, then I think it does make sense. Um, also, I mean, it, so it does make sense to use lower frequencies for that reason. Like you want to cram more things into one session. Um, an, another thing would be if you're training in a home gym, for example, and the home gym includes like one squat rack and barbell and weights, then, you know, like, are you really going to be doing like high frequency lower body sessions and like a, like a different squat pattern every day uh, you can do it but it's kind of a pain in the in the butt plus like i don't know so like one day you will be doing like back squats and then front squats and then zercher squats and like rotate back and forth then again first of all you will actually warm up quite a lot over the course of the week and um because four squats like you do need to warm up and Maybe that's even from like an overuse injury perspective, not the best because like you're with a very, very similar movement pattern and probably relatively similar rep ranges as well. Because like back squats, like how much can you alter the rep range realistically? Um, doing that like day in, day out, probably not the best. So then again, like, okay, do two squat sessions a week and then you do a bunch of squats. Then you recover from that for a couple of days and then hit it again. So. That would be another one. And I guess the same thing would apply to 
someone who is doing a lot of exercises for whatever reason, either they have to, or maybe that's just what they prefer to do that require a lot of like setup time. So then again, it would be a pain in the ass to do it like very frequently. Um, and maybe like one last one would be if someone has like some connective tissue niggles where it it is actually very difficult for them to use light enough weights so that their joints are not bothered. So if someone is recovering from like a surgery or something like you need to use like, I don't know, like 30% of your one rep max or less weight. Um, that is, that is always like a tricky thing. Like you need to do these really high reps and whatever, often not very enjoyable. If you do that, like very frequently, it can just be really shitty. So it might be just convenient to like really exhaust the muscle once with a couple of sets. And then the subsequent exercises, like it's much easier to work with those lightweights because you don't need to do a bajillion reps with them. So yeah, these will be a couple of instances, I think. Yeah, I, I think those those make a lot of sense. And I think generally um, a lot of these issues kind of sort themselves over out over time with experimentation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are just interested in asking or, or following their favorite influencer for like the perfect training split. Um, but if you yeah. have some honest self-assessment in what works for you and, um, you know, examining things like your joint health and things like that, um, you can quickly find answers to a lot of these questions that are more relevant than what your, your favorite bodybuilder is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you still have that instinct. I definitely do sometimes like, I don't know, just looking at what's Everyone like someone else's. <laughs> I mean, I mean, actually I'm going to use you as an example. Like, you know, I was working a lot on my lower back, um, and lats. Yeah. And I mean, I saw yours and I was like, Whoa, like, look, yeah. look at this guy. So, um, obviously like you can never compare yourself to someone else. Like, okay. Genetics differ, like all kinds of things make you, you and your circumstances unique, but still like, if someone has a back like yours, like, okay, like at the very least, you must be doing exercises, which are some, <laughs> hitting something properly. So yeah. my instinct was like, okay, so like, what, what the hell are you doing for your back? Like, I, I want to know that. Um, and so the thing is that like, what you learn over time, always when you're checking out what other, other people are doing is that usually things are just like, not that excitingly different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like you see, look at Arnold's training or Ronnie Coleman's or whatever, like you're going to be seeing similar exercises, similar rep ranges. Yep. The, the thing is that like, they still look quite different. Yeah. So it kind of Genetics. tells you that like, Drugs. sure, the training style is one variable, but well, yeah, okay. Like in their cases, definitely that is a, a big factor. Cause I don't know, maybe actually some of them only use like two grams and some of them use six. I, I don't know that, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, like e even if you just look around like in, in your own gym or even if you're looking at people like Eric Helms, Alberto Nunez, like both of them are natural bodybuilders. And it's it, it's clear to see even like or Steve Hall, Pascal, like they're like colleagues probably following similar training styles, very different physiques, different strong points, whatever. So the training style, unfortunately, is just one aspect, but yeah. still, I think it's in all of us. So it's an understandable mindset, but Definitely. I think that's why it's important that you get some autonomy in your thinking about how to yeah. program. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's when people ask me, and people do ask me sometimes, like, what do you do for your back training? I always try to start with like some of the simplest things, like make sure you're finding exercises you connect well with that feel good, train through a full range of motion, um, make sure that, you know, you're putting tension on the muscle, you're not just throwing it around, all these types of things, I think, um, are, are what I generally like to lead with, not saying like, this is your split and this is how it should be. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then you see their eyes glazing over <laughs> and then they're like, okay, I'll ask someone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I can tell that you're a dickhead and you don't want to help me. Just- <laughs> yeah. Um, what about training effort sometimes or sometimes called training intensity, um, bit of a misnomer, like high intensity versus low intensity, because intensity in the literature at least is, is meant to be, uh, how heavy of weight you use. But um, regardless, training effort, like how hard do you train? Do you train to failure? Do you train a few reps away from failure? What What is your opinion on that? And why do you um, advocate training that way? Yeah, so this one is, um, this one is one of those where it's hard to say anything like very confidently at the moment, uh, as, as far as like, how does the stimulus for hypertrophy or muscle hypertrophy change depending on how close you train to failure. I am still of the, um, my best guess would still be that it's basically, basically a give, give and take on both ends. Like you can do a bit more volume. So like more sets or you can train closer to failure. And to some extent, those two things are interchangeable. Um, the reason that I prefer more training effort or higher training effort, as opposed to trying to moderate that and then try to up training volume is for one, like, I think that the, like, it's more straightforward for one thing, like progress is just more easily like, uh, monitor, monitorable. (laughs) Uh, easier to like see if you actually got better uh, versus like, well, okay, I was trying to leave like three reps in the tank. Um, now I improve, but like, did I actually train closer to failure or not? Also, like, I, I think it just very much goes against like natural human instinct. Um, like, like you want to break your previous record. Like, of, of course, not everybody, but like once you get serious about lifting, like, you want to see improvements. Um, and so that that's the natural inclination. Now, sometimes we need to let go of our natural inclinations. In in this case, I don't think there is a, a very compelling reason to do so. So I would just prefer to, okay, you know that you're getting as many reps with good techniques, so you can add like however many caveats, but you're getting as many as you can under these conditions. So next time, just try to get one more. Um, and then on top of that, it's, it's, um, I think that when you're trying to, when you're trying to like add or basically like you leave a bit more in the tank with effort and then you try to make up for that by doing more volume. I think that doing an extra set, which is like realistically, I guess what you would do in that case, like at least like one extra set, if you're doing higher volumes, kind of really at half a set. It's really, really hard to make small additions 
in like total training output. So like if you train a bit closer to failure and so you do like one more rep, I mean, that that's like a little bit of extra work basically that you're getting. If you didn't train closer to failure, but you just edit some weight to the bar, that's again, like a very tiny little extra that you edit to your whole training output. If you're doing an extra set, that's a lot. Like that's a lot of extra tonnage that you're getting. And so it's just like a very blunt tool that you're playing with. That is not at all to say that that's not a valid tool still. And it cannot be used intelligently. It absolutely can. In fact, sometimes it is probably needed. Like it's not always an option probably to just train balls to the wall and to just try to progress in weight. Um, some, sometimes actually you need to moderate things a little bit and look for smart ways to get in more training volume and maybe quite a bit more training volume that would simply not be feasible if you trained as hard. But I think those are edge cases. Like I think that happens to advanced lifters or at least advanced for that exercise in that muscle group, like close to their limits where things are really, really stuck. I think those are valid times to do this. I think there's a much simpler way to do things, which I think is going to get people very far. I think up to the advanced level where you might need to get a little bit more sophisticated with things at times. So that's, that is, that is roughly it. And, and yeah, like in a very general sense, like I, I do think that training closer to failure is more stimulative. So like that, that is the thing that I, I just cannot uh, be on board with just yet. Maybe I will be convinced, but like now some people are even saying that like, even with the same number of sets, like it doesn't matter whether you train five reps away from failure or zero, that is, is bull, I think, but like remains to be seen for sure. Yeah. I think that's great overview. Um, and why did you decide to write a book and what structure does the book take and what can people get out of it? Yeah. Well, thanks for that question. Uh, it's, it's something that something that I've been planning on doing for a long time. And I started working on it actually like embarrassingly long time ago, probably, I don't know, like, well, definitely over a year ago, but like slowly closer to two years at this point, which is just embarrassing. But um, basically, I was just thinking about certain things for so long. And I just started to have like a very, a very comprehensive, um, basically, view of the whole training process and strategy and how it is best approached. So, you know, once you have taken enough people through this and you're like just very, very used to basically like from step one until step whatever, 10, when you're ready to say like, okay, I don't really think I can teach you anything more. So I think you're good on your own. Like maybe every once in a while, sign up for a consultation with me if you need, need a refresher. Once I've done this a lot of times, I was like, okay, I... I want to put all of this into like one definitive piece and, you know, and, and, and that would also be great because like if someone, you know, wants to hear about what I know or like what I think about training and, and maybe they don't want to do coaching with me or even a consultation, maybe they cannot afford it. They're like a student or whatever. I can just give them this like, Hey, read this. That's pretty much everything that I think about the matter. And um, yeah, plus, 
ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to write a book. Like I was, I was writing like fiction stuff initially, like about like people killing each other with swords and whatever. But usually I was basically just copying Lord of the Rings, but uh, it was always like something I wanted to do. So finally I can say that like, well, amongst other things, I'm an author, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And so as, as far as the structuring of it, um, it's basically about the theme of the book is how to design an intelligently, an intelligently set up training program with the split and with the progression strategy. So how do you put together your split with exercises, how many sets and reps you do? Um, what is my thought process basically when I'm putting that together for someone? And then how do you manage the progression? So basically there's a some overview of everything uh try to not make that the main thing so like i'm not explaining in 100 pages what training volume is or what intensity is um i'm more so just like okay so brief overview this is how i decide over how much training volume i'm recommending to someone or how much i'm doing myself like exercises, like this is how I like to order them, like between days, within the day, within the training session. Um, I have like this long like workshop thingy. So like, okay, basically this is how I put together a split. So I know these things about the lifter. Based on that, I decide how many training days. Well, that is given to me by the client, but like how many different training days. So like, is it like three different training days for six days of lifting a week? Or is it six different ones? How do I decide over that? So yeah, and like all the steps in that, the whole training program assembly, then the progression from like week one until let's say week 12. Like this is what I do if a lift is plateaued or the lifter is stuck, what I recommend to them in that case. Uh, so yeah, like like basically it's, I try to make it like very like hands-on, like not, not the politically correct answer where like, well, so actually like the evidence suggests that this is the best approach. Like, no, like, so, okay, I know that, but this is what I do in practice. Cause I think that's, that's what matters. And um, of course, like try to give context, but I'm trying to be as candid with it as, as possible. And um, yeah, I believe that's, that's more or less it. There's a nice closing word at the end, which <laughs> I added uh, afterwards, um, where I'm actually talking about like, how can you like, that is my final chapter, basically, like, how can you make sure that everything that you read in this book is going to be put into practice, and you will succeed with it. So I'm leading up that chapter at the very end by saying that, like, at this point, like, the question should naturally arise that, like, you read this book, there's a lot of info in it. Is this going to be the game changer? Like, is this going to get me a great physique? And the answer is that, well, like, I really think that for, for a lot of people, it could be. The honest answer is that, unfortunately, I know that for a lot of you, it won't. And that is simply because people usually don't put into practice what they learn, um, no matter what it is. Secondly, things just tend to happen. So, you know, life comes up, you get a kid you travel too much, you get injured, whatever, like things will happen. And so here are some things 